Outboard is at a stalemate. We're looking at whether or not to modify our give-get policy, particularly as we work to create a more diverse board. We want to eliminate the typical barriers that have existed to date in being brought onto our board. Doesn't having a give-get policy limit the types of board members we'll attract? You know, this is an interesting question and one that I think a lot of people are grappling with as they pay attention to DEI issues, you know, JEDI issues, and, and in relation specifically to their boards. Um, I mean, I think it all depends on what type of policy and how it's written. I, I think there's this sometimes assumption that drives me a little nutty is where you'll see like people saying, oh my gosh, we're going to try to recruit, um, di- you know, persons of a certain background, people of color, whatever, whatever that is, right, that they're working to do. And as a result, there's this weird inherent assumption like those people aren't able <laughs> to make a personal gift <laughs> or a fundraise, which is completely against the entire concept. Like, it's just ridiculous. Like, it's ridiculous. So, so I would challenge like, a, I would try to like, go into the assumptions being made here because it feels like there's some assumptions being made that maybe aren't healthy. Um, I mean, I think it goes back again to what does your organization need? Have you, do you need a board who makes, makes a personal gift and, you know, fundraises? I personally believe it's sort of a, it should be kind of a, a gold standard, a very basic thing that every board member should make some kind of a contribution but I've seen organizations as they wrestle with maybe having people that are from different incomes or so, you know, socioeconomic backgrounds, like they've gotten a little more flexible with it. Maybe that that can be, um, you know, a gift of of time or so many volunteer hours. Maybe that can look different, like like let's get creative. But but what's important to your like and why is a give get policy important? Like, is is there a reason or can you blow that up? Like, I don't think. I think it's about walking the talk and that's where give get policies first started, right? It's like, Oh, we want you as a board member to walk the talk. Like we want you before you go ask someone else for a donation, you need to have made one yourself. I get that. I agree with it. I also think there's just room for being flexible. And so my, my personal like love is board like statements that say you're going to be asked, like you need to make a personally meaningful gift that gives you a lot of, like wiggle room, depending on who you're trying to attract without like saying, yep, it's $5,000 minimum, um, right? Like to get on this board. And so, so I think that um, we've got to be a little more, a less rigid than we have in the past, but we still need to look at what does our organization need and why, you know, how do, how do we make that, you know, manifest that? I think it's a good question to have is, is look at your if you want to modify the makeup of your board, like does the give get policy limit that? Cause in some, especially organizations that are working in like with disabled people, like maybe you have a, a compelling reason to have some of these disabled people on your board. Yep. Like if, if that's the case, is the give get policy a problem? Like, cause you have to remember why you wanted them on the board in the first place. And, and maybe the reason you want that person on the board is not because you're going to get $25,000 out of them, that there's yeah. a different reason. And so being really intentional about how you've built your board, which is a hard thing. I and mean, it's easy for us, you know, it's easy for yeah. Stacy and I to go, we're be intentional and put together yeah. a matrix and inventory <laughs> their 
<laughs> right? I mean, that's a lot easier for us to say than a lot of times it is to do, especially because one of the resistant one one area of resistance you're going to get from potential board members is like, I don't have the time. And I don't have the disposable income to join your board because I know what you're going to want from me. Um, so you're always you're already trying to convince people to be on your board, and and having a give get policy may be a barrier um, that's preventing people from participating. So, so I think you just have to look at it from the you know take a step back. Don't be rigid, just like Stacy said. Don't don't have rules for the sake of having rules. If you do have rules, look at what the purpose of the rule is. Like, is it is it something, you know, we had this one guy that was on the board for years and he just like sat there and never paid attention. And we thought if we had a give get policy, at least he'd pay attention. Right. Maybe that's why you put that in place. Yeah. Or yeah. or maybe you just kind of sucked at fundraising. And this was the only way you had a guaranteed amount of money coming in is by having a, a give get policy plus X number of board members gets us the ED salary paid. Like whatever the reason was, you put it in place in the first place might not be valid anymore. So, yeah, I think. I don't know. It's a it's a great conversation to have a really good conversation to have. But I'd have an open mind about it. And I'm actually I just want to say one more thing. You you know, you mentioned that the board is at a stalemate. I'm actually really glad that you have the board getting that invested in this topic. Right. Because this is a super important topic for boards to really wrestle with. And then you're going to come you're going to come out at the end stronger than you than you ever have. And and I also think like from a I mean, sometimes to your to your example of, you know, an individual with with a disability or, or whatever, you know, that, that person is that you're looking, you know, or those people that you're trying to attract and diversify your board with, like, I also sit there and I go, they can be some of your best ambassadors, advocates, champions, if they're willing, right? Like, and so I think there's this thing with like, you know, sometimes people don't understand this give get policy. We even need to go back a step. If you are going to have that and explain what is the getting part of this, right? Like getting could be just, hey, like, will you go to a meeting with the executive director and share your story? Will you share why you're on the board? Like that is helping in that process. And like, we make this assumption, those of us who've been in the field for a while, that everyone knows what we mean by give get, like define what that means for your organization. Right. Yeah. Get doesn't necessarily mean you have to find someone to give that exact amount of money. That is that isn't the definition of get necessarily. <laughs> exactly. Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host Andy Shurek and Stacy Wedding. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Nonprofit Everything Podcast. I'm Andy Schricht. I'm here with my fantastic co-host, Stacey Wedding. And we're here to answer as many complicated, difficult, ugly, nasty, weird questions as we can about nonprofit-related things. So uh, some of the topics we get a lot are we get a lot of ugly HR topics. We get a lot of ugly board topics. Um, we get some complicated, weird finance topics. Um, but we'll answer anything even tangentially related to a nonprofit. So if you want to just ask us strange things, we'll, we'll answer that. And the best way to do that is to send them. If you go to the nonprofit, everything webpage, there's a button called, I don't even know what it's called anymore. It's probably like ask a question or something 
equally obvious. <laughs> if you click that button, it'll send, it'll, it'll put the question in our queue and we can get it. You can also find us any other way that you can get a hold of us, Twitter, Facebook, um, the discord, which there's a link to the discord there. There's a place to put questions on our discord. Um, you can call us at home, whatever, catch us on the street. Do not call me at home. Call Stacy at home. Do not do that. <laughs> in the middle of the night. She loves <laughs> She loves questions at 1130 at night. That's her favorite. Actually, time I questions. do love questions at 1130 at night. It's those people who call me or text me before 9 a.m. that I want to kill. <laughs> Challenge accepted. <laughs> we are embarking on a strategic planning process, and I always find it a painful, long, and tedious process to review the mission statement to see if any changes should be made. Do you think it would be wise to seek third-party help in developing a mission statement that can simply be presented to our board for approval? Oh, mission statements. It is excruciating. And this is the least exciting part of any nonprofit ever is talking about the stupid mission statement. Oh, Andy. There's so much bad advice. How many times have you gone into an organization and they've said to do a new strategic plan or something and you say, let's talk about the mission statement. And it is some completely overblown thing that was clearly designed by committee that was has some sort of weird formal structure in it to include like the location of the organization. And like somebody said, like, these are the five things you need to have in a mission statement. And so they crammed them all in there. And then there are these arguments about which adverb to use. And so they come up with some (laughs) totally bizarre adverb that they've crammed in there. I mean, there's there and, and like the rank and file of organizations, when you think about like what, like what the mission statement means, how actually important it is, compared to like how badly they're designed generally is like, there's such a mismatch there. So I a hundred percent feel all of the pain of this person's question about like this painful, long, tedious process for the mission statement. It is a painful, long, tedious process and it's so unnecessary. Well, and you can almost (laughs) feel it. You can feel the energy in in the room, right? So you bring this up and you can just see like shoulders (laughs) through. This. Like, yeah, like just like people cringe a little because they know they've been through it, maybe with their own companies, whatever. And I mean, I've seen people who've gone through this for it's a several month process. And you're like, yeah. please poke my eyes out like, oh, and then so- add on top of that is that they want to have a mission, a vision, and then three or four overarching organizational goals. Like, so now they've got five things that no one can actually define (laughs) that all overlap in some way. And everybody has their own opinion about what each thing should be. And then it devolves into this whole, oh, it's so, (laughs) it's so horrible. It's so horrible, Stacey. (laughs) And I also will, you know, what's interesting is because I I've done a lot of mission, vision, values work over the years with organizations. And I will say that, what what just oh lights my fire in a re- like 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 in a really bad way is that it's just like you look on the internet at like good mission like very few are doing this well right like very few you yeah. go wow that really like is simple like I kind of I get it I don't it's not their own jargon right very few and even consultants in the industry so to, this kind of ties into the cons- the third party piece 
consultants don't always understand it either. So you get like one consultant who says, I can help you create this. They have no freaking clue what like a mission and vision is or the difference between the two. So um, I don't know. I'm going to I'm going to dive in and just say, here's my thing. I think a third party can take some of the pain away, but you've got to be really careful how you use the third party. This is not for you to just delegate this entire thing like to a third party. Oh, rewrite our mission statement. Like that's ridiculous because this is kind of a core of who you are, what your core purpose is, why you exist, right? Like you've got to have that discussion. And what? why do you need to change it? Like there's this weird thing where sometimes people get into, I just need to change it to make it, sexier. I mean, maybe you do need to simplify it, but I think there's a conversation that has to be had at a board level. It's the board and executive director or the executive staff team, if you're large enough, that you're talking about, you know, like, who are we? What, what, you know, what do we do? Like, what, why do we exist? Like, and kind of just, and where, like, where are we now versus even five years or 10 years ago? I mean, that changes. So, I mean, I think it's good to refresh these things, but then, the way you would use a third party is like they would help facilitate that process, keep it moving so it doesn't get stuck in wordsmithing. Like when I do this stuff, I'm always like, this is not, we are not doing an exercise in wordsmithing. None of you want that. I don't want that as your facilitator. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to give some, like have some rich conversation about this. And then we can start to add some key words. And then then maybe I will come back and share something for you to react to instead of like going through, we are like five hours later still talking about what adverbs to use. Mm-hmm. So what's the, if you're counseling someone who's in this scenario, like where they've already gotten themselves halfway into the swamp of trying to figure out which adverb is the correct adverb to use in this mission statement, what what do you say to pull them out of the swamp? What's the point, the, the root point of a mission statement? Why should it exist? What is it like? Who cares? At the end of the day, a mission statement is what is our core purpose? Why do we exist? And I would just say to people like, this is not about here's the deal. And I would be real and say, nobody is going to be sitting there like trying to like analyze every single one of your words. And then I would give them through research a few examples of others that do it well, like as an example, like, and then say, okay, like, but can we all agree that this is the general theme of what you want said? And then like, we'll come back, then I'll, th- then we'll come back. And someone who's really good with words will come back with a proposal for you. But like, you don't need people like, arguing over what word is what it's ridiculous it's a big waste of time yeah so so i think the what we should recommend like if we're going to recommend something really stupid like if you feel the need to make your mission statement overcomplicated, something more than just this is why we're here like make it a haiku like try to come up with some a completely absurd restriction on how the thing is going to be made so that you're no longer thinking about which adverb is correct, because guess what? They're all wrong. If there's an adverb in your mission statement, it's probably wrong, right? <laughs> you don't have to tell somebody. It's not totally. This isn't your elevator pitch. This isn't the the. This isn't how you're going to communicate to donors. This is not how you're going to communicate to staff. This is the just basically the the one sentence description of what your charitable purpose is. And it should be very very straightforward. And it's okay if it's identical to somebody else. It's okay if it doesn't have 
the exact mechanism that you're going to use that's your meaningful differentiation between every other organization that's doing similar work around the world. It, it's just what you do. And it's that simple. It, it is that simple. And I also think to that point, another thing I do to kind of pull people out of that rabbit hole is to say there are other places. Great. That's a great word. We're going to we're going to have this lovely word list. But there's other ways to like other opportunities. Your mission is not your only way. Very, you know, very few people are going to even spend time on it. Like they're going to glance, whatever, right? Like a grant proposal. You've got to be able to put that in your grant proposal. But at the end of the day, like you're going to have key messages, your elevator pitch to what you just said, your website's going to have other ways to communicate it. And I think so many people are trying to do like put everything but the kitchen sink into their mission statement. And I'm like, that's where we get these really long, tedious things. You know what? Also, just as a side note, that, that makes me laugh. There is nothing better than writing down on a flip chart. There's something different about when you see it on a screen versus flip chart. And when your mission statement takes up the entire flip chart, that is sometimes like, wow, holy crap, that is way too long. Like I've had organizations <laughs> that didn't realize it till they saw it on the flip chart, right? So like, so whatever. But like at the end of the day, like you said, keep it simple. And and the next time you're in one of these things, see if you can secretly make it a haiku without anybody else noticing. I love that. <laughs> I love that. That's kind of a fun game, isn't it? <laughs> I am reaching a crossroads with the nonprofit I founded about five years ago. Many of my employees at my for-profit company have helped take care of a great deal of the work required by my nonprofit. I'd like to shift this to having my nonprofit potentially hire an executive director. What's the best way to fundraise for an ED? I'm leaning towards writing grants as that seems like it would be the simplest and quickest way to raise money. Do you know of any funders that award grants to help fund an executive director position? Well, first of all, I just need to debunk. I don't know where you heard the grants would be the simplest and quickest way to raise money. I mean, raising money, there's no, you know, simple, quick way unless you, you know, have a lot of rich friends and rich board members willing to do it. Right. So so like I think you've got to kind of get that notion out of your head. And grants are notorious for having long processes. Right. Like taking a long time to to write and organize. Restrictions. And yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, uh. So I, I don't know. I mean, I kind of cringed when I read this because I was, when I was looking at this question, I thought, I mean, I don't know enough about the organization and how it's historically raised money. I always am a believer and sort of build off of what's working for you. And some organizations are better at writing grants because they have a lot of data collection, which I'm guessing you don't. This sounds like a very tiny sort of founder, <laughs> very founder led, almost to a point of being dangerous, um, right? Because even the the words about my nonprofit, <laughs> my employees, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I'm like, ah, so anyways, so, so can you get other people around you to help building this tribe? So it's not just you and your people, right? Like your employees that are forced to do this because you're making them do like two jobs. But um, yeah, I wouldn't do it. I mean, grants would probably be the last place I would look to for these kinds of funds. And so I wouldn't, you know, historically grants really, there's some exceptions. So like, there's no like hard and fast rule, but grants historically, right. Are tied to programs and, you know, services that you offer, 
maybe like staff that support those programs and services are included in it. But I, I can't even begin to tell you how many grant like proposals or RFPs I read that are like no staff, no administrative staff to be included, which, you know, we need to change that as a sector. That's ridiculous. But the point is, is you're not going to you're not going to raise your ED salary through grants. Plus, then I don't know, like how sustainable is that? So I just I, I think you're going to have to look at other mechanisms based on your strengths and what's working for your organization. A lot of organizations kind of go the special events route or board member contributions or maybe like a an online or written, you know, some kind of appeal process where you can be a little more general so you can raise some of those monies for an ED. But man, I I just I feel like I could continue to like peel back the onion on this. And there's probably a hundred other things to say to this. I, what are you thinking, Abby? Well, I'm, I'm going to start by actually answering the question and then I'm going to tear the question up. So the, okay. the, the question was, what's the best way to fundraise for an ED? The best way to fundraise for an ED is to have an organization that has a strong mission, has good programs, has a, a board that's interested in the mission, um, a strong overall fundraising program uh, that can raise enough money, not only enough money to do whatever program they're supposed to do, but enough money to hire someone to assist with that. So the best way to fundraise for an ED is to have a strong nonprofit that's put together the right way and is raising money in all of the ways that you raise money, not just grants, but all of the fun things, direct mail, personal asks, every single thing that you can use to raise money. That's the answer to that. Because of the, so there, I answered the question. Now I'm going to back up and not answer the question. Because of the way, and Stacy mentioned this, the word I and my appears in this question so many times. <laughs> um, and I, one of the things that I do with, um, people that I work with that come to me. So one of the things that I do in my in my private consulting business that isn't specifically helping nonprofits is helping for-profit companies that are interested in doing something philanthropic. They like they say, hey, we want to do X. How do we do this? And one of the first things they always come up with is, I think I want to start a nonprofit. And my and then I spend an awful lot of time talking them down out of that particular tree into like, well, why don't you tell me what it is you want to do? What are you trying to achieve with this? I get, I love that you have this impulse to help. I love that you want to put your time and energy in, and money into doing this particular thing. Why have you selected that particular um, corporate form that is a nonprofit that belongs to me? And let's unpeel that. Let's unpack that because I think that's got some, some challenging bits in it that you're not going to be very comfortable with. One of them is like, I don't want to bring other people on because this is my vision. Like, I don't want people to pollute my vision. And my, I say it in a much more polite way, but the answer is, well, maybe your vision is terrible. <laughs> like, <laughs> if, if, you're, if you're convinced that you're the only person that supports this particular mechanism for doing good, maybe it sucks, right? Yeah. You've got to be able to bring more people on board, not only as a board member, but as as funders, as people in the community that recognizes that your organization is doing something good. And so if it's all I, me, mine, you're going to have a terrible time crossing that bridge. You're going to have a terrible time getting past that crossroads, as you said, which you've just noticed. So, so what I would counsel is take a step back, look at what you're trying to achieve. Is there someone else in your space that's doing that too? Maybe what you really need to do is figure out a way to make them stronger. So figure out a way, maybe they want to add, like they're doing all of these things, but there's one specific program that they're not doing. 
Maybe talk to that organization and find out why they're not doing that particular program. Maybe it's not cost effective. Maybe they don't have the staff for it. Maybe they haven't thought of it. Maybe they've tried it before and it was a spectacular failure. Like you want to find out why organization, because there's no, there's, there's zero nonprofit ideas that someone else is not working on. Did that make sense? It was like a triple negative. (laughs) (laughs) What I'm trying to say is like, if you can think of a, some sort of charitable purpose, someone's already working on it, right? Pretty much. Yeah. And so, so you don't have to do that. So if you do have energy and time and money and staff that you want to put toward this idea, Maybe find somebody that's already else got an that's already got an ED who's already in this space that you can talk to about your program. Um, be a funder, be a super funder. So now that you know what it's like to to run a nonprofit and what the, all the challenges are, you're you're going to be way more compassionate when you're working with an existing organization that says, you know what, I really need. I really need our building to be fixed because the roof leaks, right? Maybe that's something that you want to fund them for so that they can do this mission that you're passionate about better than you can as a part-time job with a bunch of people that were not hired to do it. Um, Maybe it's time to start thinking. I mean, this is a good crossroads, you said. It's a good time to start thinking about alternative ways to get to serving the purpose that you want to serve that doesn't involve, I'm going to do it myself. Because that's probably not the smartest way to do it. Well, and it's not sustainable. And let's just be honest, at some point, it's just, it's not going to last, right? That's what makes some of the most successful, vibrant nonprofits have all those things Andy mentioned right away at the beginning, right? The mission, the programs and services, the impact, like have all of this to, to help like, like people want to get engaged with that, right? Like, so you don't have to lean on just your own employees, like, and yourself, because other people like are called to serve with you on this. And so like, I think the surest sign when a non like to know a nonprofit's dying is when you lose, like when, when you can't get that like momentum. And I don't know how much you've even spent trying to do that, but that's why I go back to trying to figure out what does that tribe look like beyond your own people, right? And, and how do you do that? I also think like it would be important to think about, I'm very curious to know how you, like when you say an executive director, what that means to you, like what are your employees doing now? Like I I think people sometimes because they don't understand there's a lot of options and staffing models to work for nonprofits, like they go right to, we need to hire the ED. I mean, there's, there's some people where I've seen the first hire just because they need more of the person who's going to do program service delivery is like a program manager and the board is managing that. Like, like there's no, like you don't have to start with your first hire being an executive director. There's benefits to that, of course. But like, I guess I'd, I'd say, what are your biggest pain points right now? So many times it's administrative stuff that literally you could outsource that without paying a full-time executive director, or you could, you know, I, I mean, this is a little more complicated, but I've seen people who've set up nonprofits, right? They have their own 501c3 status. They've gone through all the stuff. And then they realize, wow, like we didn't need to be, we, we really think we're like, we want to keep this smaller and less complicated. So maybe we can just be like, we can find a fiscal sponsor that's going to take us on. So that goes back to some of what Andy said about finding other EDs to talk to or other partnerships. Like, Maybe there's some other ways to do this that don't even require you to to get an ED. And so um, lots, again, lots of, but but I think it starts with, like, there's a lot of questions here and a lot of things to think about. I'm glad that you're at least 
posing the question and 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 really sort of take take that step back as as Andy said. Yeah, and think about how much better you're going to feel when somebody because I think the the impetus behind the question is like uh, we don't want to do this anymore. Like, yeah, our our staff is tired of doing it. I'm tired of doing it. Think how much better you're going to feel when you've offloaded this whole thing yep. onto someone who really wants to do it. Like that's gonna that's probably what I'd start thinking about is how do we how do we get rid of this in such a way that the mission continues? Um, NED might be one solution, but it might not be. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. Andy and I were just talking about how difficult it is to be creative on demand. So I'm going to call this my being creative by talking about how we can't be creative on demand. That's so, cheating. That is cheating. <laughs> That's hey, cheating. I mixed it up. That wasn't the same old ending. It anyway, isn't. no, in all seriousness, though, if you have ideas for us to make this creative at the beginning, the intro, outro, whatever, let us know because we always are trying to mix it up and then we just get kind of stuck. We, we record the questions and answers first, and then at the end, we're giving you kind of in, a sneak peek inside behind the scenes. Then we do the recording of the intros and, and, and the ending, right? The closing. And we oftentimes are just fried. Our brain is fried. We're tired. We've been recording for a couple hours and uh, we need ideas. So, hey, in addition to send the questions, send us a fun idea so we can mix it up. We'll even uh, give you credit for it. Mm-hmm.